never say die! Hello everybody and welcome to episode 247 of 40 going on 14 and I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh and I'm glad that we're talking about Rollerball this week because finally a movie that combines my interests in roller derby, roulette, and the brutal murder of people I don't even dislike. Hooray! Murder! Murderball. Rollerball murder. Yes. The, story, the short story. I wish I'd read the short story. I was going to try and make time for it, and then I didn't. It would have taken you like five minutes. Yep. Video games. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this week we are doing Rollerball. Um, 1975 versus 2002. Uh, this should be interesting <laughs> for many reasons. If you like things that are interesting, you might like Ooh. the shows on the Podcast Collective. I was jumping right on that. I wasn't getting a better shot. No. Such as No Hope for Humanity, Joel's Own the Sunshine Happy Pants Hour, The Internet with Scott the Pool Boy, Mint and Box Cast, and of course, the Rad Dad Radio Hour. Rad Dad, Rad Dad. You want to delay? Yes. Joel's on tape delay tonight. I don't know what's going on. Damn it. <laughs> okay, so our uh, older stuff iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Talkshoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. Uh, we are on Geek Life Radio again. We are now uh, up up to date uh, with the current show on Geek Life Radio at 12 noon on Saturdays. So that's a thing. And if you'd like to uh, give us some commentary, uh, 708 now wrap, 708-669-9727. What was the show that was playing every week on Geek Life Radio? Peter Pan. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> had anything since 53. Um, probably, I don't know. It's like, gee, these guys really like Peter Pan. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I'm looking. Uh, it wasn't coffee. It was a while. I don't even know. Because it was a while we were caught in a time loop there. We might have. It might have been either DuckTales or Michael Keaton. Woo! One of those two. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. If you're just catching up, sorry. Uh, yeah, that's a, you know, what else to say? Sorry. Finally got the password. <laughs> We're going. Yay. All right. Yeah, Good. we had some listener feedback, but mostly on the Facebook page, which you can find us on Facebook, of course, by searching for 40 going on 14. Uh, a lot of talk about our upcoming 250th episode. Yes. What is it going to be? We're not going to tell you. That's but we know. We do. We actually have planned that out. We're not going to be like the day of going, what are we going to talk about, as we usually do. But... um it is, it is going to be something different, we hope. We're talking about doing cameras, but a lot of us don't want to be on. I don't want you know, we, we don't have... There's a reason we do podcasts. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't even own a webcam. And I should, because I stream on Twitch. You would be such a hot qu- uh, cam girl. I'd watch it. I'll just play my daily Twitch stream Hearthstone while slowly licking the microphone. Mm. Mm. That's, my uh. <laughs> That's my fetish. I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> All right. And about that time. Yeah, it's about that time. This week in music, movies, and TV. Yes. Uh, so this week, June 25th, 1975, the release of Rollerball, the original James Caan version. And his fro. Bro. I do not diss on the Confro. Well, of course you love the Confro. 
I was going to say, that's a very 70s hairstyle. I'm pretty sure my dad had that hairstyle. Ain't nothing wrong with the confro. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> All right. Music. Hold on. Let me get to where I need to be. The number one song in the land was Love Will Keep Us Together by Captain and Tennille. Knocking off Sister Golden Hair by America. Those are both excellent songs, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. Captain and Tennille, I have a strange, strange love for that that band. Those two are fantastic. Is uh, Joel on tape delay waiting to tell us how much they suck? I don't know that I have a specific opinion on Captain or Tennille. What? <laughs> well, remember we found out that Captain is actually a, or Tennille is actually a, a real dick in one of our tweets. She mm. she divorced the Captain when he was diagnosed with some disease, and then oh yeah, yeah, and then he found a cure and was like fuck you. Apparently, love won't keep them together. Yeah. Love will keep us together unless there's a debilitating disease. Yeah. In sickness and in health. Nah. Screw nah, that, Tennille. But I, I always like in in the videos when he, I mean, I love how he stayed just completely stone faced through all of it, just playing that electric piano. Love, love will keep us together. Joel, next, next. Cool. All right, so on June 23rd, during the opening song on his Vancouver stop during one of his tours, Alice Cooper fell off the front of the stage when the prop box he was standing on collapsed. Despite a concussion and six broken ribs, he continued on the tour and didn't miss a stop, even finishing the Vancouver concert after medical attention. Okay, how big was this box that he got six broken ribs? Well, it wasn't the, the box. It was the fall down to the concrete. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. How, how high up was he on... I don't know. Was it like a? I mean, it's, the, the phrase "prop box" confuses me because it was just <laughs> a. Was it a prop box where it was like not meant to be standing, be stood on because it's just a prop, or was no, it, it was a, box a box for the props? A box full of propellers. I like that. <laughs> I love that band. Prop box. Their first album was great. All right, moving on. Cher officially divorced Sonny Bono on June 26. She married Greg Allman four days later. They cited Rollerball 2002 as the reason. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> There's the fan. Here's my prop box. That's kind of a weird trade-off. Sunny. I mean, are you going? Are you going up on the scale or lower on the scale? Going from Sonny Bono to Greg Allman. Oh, you're definitely going up. Definitely up. I always thought it was like Greg Allman is a rock legend. Sonny Bono is Sonny Bono. Right. <laughs> but he. I mean, he was a. Wasn't he a, a governor or something? He was a senator. Senator. Yeah. He had. He had bad. Uh, but he was a senator long after she divorced him. That's true. He had bad tree recognition. Yeah. Yeah, he found Not out the bark was worse than the bite. Ah, ah. I see what you did there. Everybody drink. That was Joel's one funny comment to the show. <laughs> oh, shit. I was reading something. <laughs> I'll drink anyway. Timothy Charles Buckley III was an American singer-songwriter and guitarist. His music and style changed considerably through the years. He began his career based in folk music. But its subsequent albums experimented with jazz, psychedelia, funk, soul, the avant-garde, and an evolving voices instrument sound. Though he did not find commercial success during his lifetime, Buckley is admired by later generations for his innovation as a musician and vocal ability. He died at the age of 28 when, or excuse me, from a heroin overdose, leaving behind his sons Taylor and Jeff Buckley, the latter of whom later went on to become a musician as well and perished while swimming in the Missouri River. Absorbed. Sucks. Jeff Buckley was awesome. I don't know anything about him aside from what you just said. Check check him out. His version of uh, Hallelujah, the Leonard Cohen song, is pretty amazing. I think it's probably the best one. I will. Oh. The covers. 
Okay, an avant-garde musician that uh, Joel recommends and Pat seconds. I mm-hmm. think I'm all on board. Well, his dad was the avant-garde. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Buckley was the son of the... Jeff Gotcha. Was, but I still think you'd like him, regardless. Um, on June 21st, a concert at Wembley Stadium featuring Elton John, the Beach Boys, the Eagles, Joe Walsh, and Rufus featuring Chaka Khan, among other artists. Chaka Khan. Chaka Khan. Shut up, Khan. Shut up. I almost didn't include that. (laughs) All right. I'm not taking a copyright hit for Chaka Khan. (laughs) Did did you have that queued up? I completely had that queued up for it. (laughs) You knew I was going to do it and Pat was going to (laughs) complain. I'm just just over here enjoying it. Uh, Elton was the headliner and he chose to open his performance with his new, mostly unknown, album in its entirety leading to an unsatisfied crowd who left the venue in droves before the set was over. What? Yeah. Huh. Wait, what album was it? Shut up and play the hits. <laughs> oh, well, I should have just put it in there. So it, it's uh, that the one album of his has a really crazy name. Uh, let me look it Goodbye up. Goodbye, Yellow Grit Road? Was it? Yeah, that's it. An eponymous? Uh, eponymous? No, that's um, R.E.M., dude. Captain yeah. Fantastic and the Brown Captain Dirt. Captain Fantastic, yeah. And the Brown Dirt Cowboy. That's kind of okay. That's strange, but and the hot dog flavored water, <laughs> hot ham water. Oh, hot okay. Ham. The I'm looking at the tracks: Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy, Tower of Babel, Bitter Fingers, Tell Me When the Whistle Blows. The only thing on here that I recognize is Someone Save My Life Tonight. All the rest is <clears throat> nothing I recognize. For years, in Someone Save My Life Tonight, I thought I was mishearing him say Sugar Bear, and then I found out he was actually saying Sugar Bear. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the. Yep. I was mishearing it correctly all these years, right? He really loved Starsky and Hutch. That is, though, you know what? That is an amazing set right there. Even with the Elton John weird album thing, Beach Boys, Eagles, Joe Walsh, and you know Chaka Khan. But can you imagine what backstage had to be like with the Beach Boys, Eagles, and Joe Walsh all running around? <laughs> now, see, I can get behind Joe Walsh. We've talked about this, but I can get behind Chaka Khan. Oh yeah. Ooh, how weird was Now here's a question. Did Joe hmm how how did the Eagles and Joe Walsh get together? Get along, I mean. Well, considering Joe Walsh plays with the Eagles frequently. Yeah. But I mean, did he was this post breakup or No, this was before they were oh, together. Oh, 75. I don't want to think it. Okay, I'm done. And finally, Barry White's Can't Get Enough of Your Love, Babe was released on June 25th. Great song. Yes. Can't get love for your love, a lot babe. of good music in the music today. Yep. And only one minor mess up that wasn't really even that really much of a mess up. We wouldn't have even noticed it if he hadn't brought it up. Exactly. Oh, I so noticed. We're doing good. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Technically two mess ups, but nobody that doesn't look at the show notes knows you messed up the other one. Yeah. No beer frame. So anyway. Yeah. All right. Moving on to movies. Jaws, an action film about a white shark terrorizing a resort island, premiered nationwide at number one on June 20th. <clears throat> Within two weeks, the film would recoup its costs, and by September 5th, it would surpass The Godfather as the then highest grossing film in cinema history. I love the way that's worded, assuming that you don't know what Jaws is. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's just a little movie about a shark. Probably you, never heard of play, it. If you play it backwards, it's about a shark puking people up until the beach is fully populated. I love that joke. Yep. What was the budget? Got a guess? Like five million? Eight. Yeah. yeah. Eight million opening weekend. One weekend it did seven point six. Oh seven. Out of out of the and, eight million, seven million it was spent on Bruce. 
And if you say it backwards, it's pronounced swage. That's, okay, I'll move on. Yeah, this is this is the radio you're looking for, folks, don't, right here. Don't edit that silence out. It's not messing up on my territory. <laughs> he, just, he deserves that silence. I, I wanted to jump in at the whole the appropriate part where he was talking about backwards. Never mind. Uh, Toby Maguire. Actor from Spider-Man and The Great Gatsby, among others, was born in Santa Monica, California on June 27th. Why would you choose those two? I mean, I can see Swage. Spider-Man. But... <laughs> the Great Gatsby, but... I, I actually liked that version of The Great Gatsby. It was very different. I need to see it. It's on my like, list. It was good, but not great. I, I think the thing that's going to throw you off about it is, that if you're not prepared for it, it's a very kind of hip-hop interpretation of The Great Gatsby in some spots. Mm. It's similar to the Romeo and Juliet retelling that yes. Gabriel was in. Okay. Where, yeah, you have to be prepared for, okay, this is occasionally going to drift in an area I didn't expect it to. Now that you know that, you might end up liking it. Is that the Caprio is, is yeah. good in it, as usual. See, I, I'm down to see it. I have I have no problem. Toby to Maguire, not so good in it. I did not like him in it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the character he's playing is sort of mealy-mouthed. <clears throat> like, I thought he was well cast. What, what character was he? He's the narrator. Oh, okay. So is it like Spider-Man 3 bad? No. I, I wouldn't say it's bad at all. It's not great. but no, yeah, it's portrayal. Oh. oh, yeah. I mean, he... I, I personally... I, he took me out of the movie so many times with his performance. I just didn't like it. Bam. Whereas I always kind of thought the narrator in Gatsby was this sort of like fly on the wall sort of guy who you almost wouldn't know was there. And I thought that's about what he did. All right. So TV, Uh, the top shows in the land are all in the family, rich man, poor man, Laverne and Shirley and Maude. Ah, B. Arthur. I like B. Arthur. I did too. I could take her or leave her. I think I mean, I think she was good in pretty much everything except for maybe the Star Wars Christmas special. That was <laughs> just confusing. Well, she's no Shaka Khan. No, but who is? When did Joe Walsh had sex with B. Arthur? That is now stuck in my head. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, Rich Man, Poor Man. Who was in Rich Man, Poor Man? Topo Zizio. That, <laughs> while Mark. topical. And Canfield. Uh, Peter Strauss. Tovar. And Nick Nolte. What? Also starring Bill Bixby. <laughs> and Ray Moland. What the hell kind of show is this? I that know is a strange cast. Ed Asner? What? Abe Vigoda. Oh. Abe, well, I don't know. He might as well. He was in everything back then. But Ed, I don't even know what this is about. He wasn't in Joe Walsh. That we know. All right. So moving on. Might have been in B. Arthur. On oh. June 28th, Rod Serling, American television screenwriter best known for the host of Twilight Zone died at 50 years of age. He suffered a fatal third heart attack in two months while undergoing the relatively new, at the time, open-heart surgery. That is a writing man right there. Yep. I think he wrote, like, 95% of all the uh, Twilight Zone episodes were written by him. And a ton of other shows, too, that were not as successful. Yeah. Yeah. We need to do a Twilight Zone show. We we talked about the rabbit in our fear show. That might have been it. And yeah. I think we covered it because there was an actor who was in it that we might have done a person show on. Maybe. But we haven't actually directly talked about Twilight Zone. No. Yeah. We've discussed it. It's on the list, but it's not official yet. And uh, the original Password aired its final episode on June 27th. So there the you go. The password is Swag. <laughs> nice. Linda Cardinelli. 
Cardinelli? Car- Cardellini. 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 Yeah. Uh, actress mostly known for Freaks and Geeks was born in Redwood City, California on June 25th. She was on ER. I am. Yep. Uh, born June 23rd, K2, KT Tunstall. KT Tunstall. It sounds like something you would install on like a golf cart. Things driving funny. Well, you got the Tunstall on there? No. I Tunstalled it. Is a Scottish singer-songwriter and musician. She broke into the public eye with a 2004 live soul performance of her song Acronym of the Week, B-H-A-T-C-T, on Later with Jules Holland. I'm pretty sure that stands for uh, Balls Have All the Cheese Tonight. (laughs) Sugar Bear. (laughs) Oh, my God. Swatch. That was that. You know, he's not wrong. I mean, yeah, that, I, that went gross. That I'm did. Credit I mean, Sarah for uh, the addition of the word cheese. Yeah. No, that Thanks, is Sarah. black horse and a ch- and the cherry tree. Also known as the only reason why most people know KT Tunstall. Yeah, it's the only hit she had. But I do highly recommend anybody out there, including the three of you, look up that live performance on YouTube. It's really a, it's it's amazing. I'm I curious. really like that song, so I probably will. I, I can't certain. recommend it enough. It's one of the best like solo live performances you'll ever see. I'm fairly certain I have her album, first album down in the basement. I don't. And you know, just she's a cutie. So it you know, if if, if you're on the fence about it, just you know, trust does, me, it's it's, does it's she very wear, good. She wear I, a kilt? Hmm? Does she wear a kilt? A skirt, yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. I I don't know who she is. I have no idea who she is. But yeah, I can't recommend enough. Watch that video. <laughs> All right, moving on to sports. Muhammad Ali and Joe Bugner fought their second match on June 30th, which Ali won in a unanimous decision on points. This was the last bout before the Thrilla in Manila with Ali and, uh, oh, my God, um, Frazier, Joe Frazier. Jesus. So with Frazier? I just, Kelsey Grammer? I just looked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Muhammad Ali and Kelsey Grammer. Swaj. Oh, my God. Uh, just looked up KT Tunstall. Apparently, her latest tweet she covered "I Won't Back Down" by Tom Petty. Ooh, oh, I I wish she would be more popular. I don't know why she never had another hit. She's very talented. The Thriller and Magilla Gorilla. Magilla Gorilla Gorilla for <laughs> sale. Magilla Gorilla for sale. Buy him, try him. No, buy him. Professional Sp- golfers Lee Trevino. <laughs> Take him home and try him. <laughs> Jerry Heard. We're struck by lightning when a thunderstorm interrupted the Western Open PGA tournament on June 27th. Huh. That's wow. two things I have in common with Lee Trevino. You've never played golf? No, Lee Trevino definitely played golf. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in a thunderstorm. You guys know I was struck by lightning. What? Oh, no, I, yeah, I was struck by lightning before you guys met me. I what? Do. Bullshit. I, yeah, I was struck by lightning along with, I don't know if you guys remember Mike Gorsh. Yeah. The guy with the yeah. twitch. Yeah, a real, really skinny guy, uh, friends with Brian. Uh, he, he played uh, an, in, an incredibly racist stereotype when we played D&D together. I remember that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, huh. Yeah, he and I were, walk- uh, for some reason, walking from uh, Melrose Park to Cicero in the rain and got struck by lightning on the way home. Huh. I did not know that. Yep. That's what you get for not living with him. Oh, wait, you did. What? No, I didn't. We were walking to my house. What are you talking? What? Joel? No, I was just saying because I lived with him, I knew that story, but then I realized that you lived with him too. So yeah, no, we didn't talk when we lived together. That's true. 
<laughs> Fun fact, Mike Gorsh also moved into the apartment after we all moved out. <gasps> oh, the house? <gasps> yeah. <gasps> nice. <gasps> was, was that after um, our Simone friend showed up dressed like a pirate? <laughs> oh, yeah, he may have been. Actually, he might have already been moved out by the time he, he showed up dressed like a pirate, not realizing we didn't live there anymore. Because that I know I know that that uh, for those of you out in the audience do not know, we have a friend who is not Samoan, but looks Samoan. And it's a big dude. And apparently after we all moved out of the apartment that we lived in or I squatted in during college, uh, he showed up on Halloween dressed like a pirate and just walked in the back door because he assumed that there would be somebody there that he knew. Well, for years, there was, it had been, it had been some, yeah, you know, from us until like years after we even moved out, it was all Concordia people staying there. I think Brian was Brian and Mike Gorsh were there immediately after. True. And then I think a couple of girls moved in with Brian. And when uh, our Samoan friend showed up, like Brian wasn't there, but the two girls were. Yeah, and he he just walked in the back door and was like, "Hey guys, um, I don't know any of you. Please don't call the police." As a six foot two guy walks in the back door dressed as a pirate. Because yeah, there was a time when you could do that and it wouldn't matter. Yeah, be like, was... Hey, Mark, how you doing? Hey, where'd the pirate come from? My butt. All right. All right. On June twenty first, West Indies beat Australia by seventeen runs to win the Cricket World Cup. Yay. That was and a that, very, very normal cricket fact. I know, yep. right? Wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. Are there any looking any no any words? And yeah, no words we don't understand. No wickets and no, no, no hot turnovers or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I got a guy at work who is huge into cricket and is like trying to teach me every time we have lunch. And I'm like, well, what about a maiden? He's like, forget about the maidens. Let's get the basics down. I'm like, no, 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 we cannot pass up the maidens. I need to know what's going on with that. And then he stops talking to me. In order for him to explain a maiden, he has to explain like 18 other terms first. Uh, completely. But that is the end of the twee. Take us out, keyboard Joel. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> All right, so rollerball. Yeah, this show has been on our list to do probably since the first year of the show, and we've been putting it off. I, I blame Joel. Yeah. And now finally what? we can strike it from the list. I'm pretty sure this was Wait, your you idea back in the day. Yeah, I definitely blame Joel. I, I blame Joel for a lot of things. Yeah. So, I've already seen the, the remake. Why would I want to see it again? But you watched it. This is just like this is just like college, Joel. Shut up and take it. I was gonna say it's it's three to one blaming Joel. Take so. it. So yeah, so we watched the original two thousand and two thousand nineteen seventy five. Sorry. Um the IMDB description was terrible, so I went down and Found something written by uh, Jeff Hansen. So thank you very much for this, Jeff. Uh, In a futuristic society where corporations have replaced countries, the violent game of rollerball is used to control the populace by demonstrating the futility of individuality. However, one player, Jonathan E., rises to the top, fights for his personal freedom, and threatens the corporate control. And then nothing else happens. Wait, wait, wait. I I've, I found something else because there's I've I've decided to start adding the taglines from the movies to this because there's multiple taglines and I think they're a lot of fun. So taglines for this one is it's more than just a game. This movie will haunt your future because it's almost here. This is by the way this is set in 2018, which is kind of funny. The next world war will not be fought; it will be played. In the future, there will be no war. There will only be rollerball. 
In the not-too-distant future, wars will no longer exist, but there will be the game. Rollerball, eat fresh. (laughs) Rollerball. Rollerball never changes. Rollerball, because Swage was sold out. (laughs) (laughs) Swage. I don't know why that made me so... I, I can always count on Joel to take a joke that bombed and help me make it funny again by grinding it into the dirt beneath your heel. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that this game wasn't really all that violent. Well, at first. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, people died. Die. Yeah. yeah. So this is directed by Norman Jewson, uh, who is also directed Fiddler on the Roof and Jesus Christ Superstar. Hmm. Uh, Take a lane, buddy. I know, right? Seriously. Choose a side of the coin, man. Uh, he also has done in the heat in the heat of the night. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Uh, where was the other one? And Justice for All and something called Fist. <laughs> Joe, explain to us what Fist is. Starring Sylvester Stallone and Rod Steiger and Peter Boyle. What? It, it was a prequel to The Russians Are Coming. The Russians Are Coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn, Joel, you're on fire tonight. He's uh, on fire. Hey, all right. So, uh, written by a William Harrison, who is no, he wrote the uh, the short story. The president? Ro- no, he's a Henry away from being a president. Yes. Ah. Uh, he wrote uh, the short story Rollerball Murder. Wait a minute. He wrote the screenplay, too? Yeah. How can you... you I just, don't understand that. Like the role, there, there, There's such a disconnect between the short story and the screenplay. I can't believe that he wrote this screenplay. Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So he's also done something called Welcome to Paradox. Started in 1998. He wrote uh, short stories for that. Uh, Welcome to Paradox, starring Ice T. So take that as you will. The movie itself stars James Kahn as Jonathan E. John Houseman as Bartholomew. Maud Adams as Ella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John Beck. Mm-hmm. As that Maud. As the strangely named Moon Pie. <laughs> yeah, John Beck was best known for, I think, being in Dallas, was it? I think so. It was one of those. Uh, uh, he was in um, Magnum P.I. Yeah, he was Mark Grayson in Dallas. Oh, okay. Yeah, from 83 to 86. Cool. I liked him. Uh, Moses Gunn as Cletus. Pamela Hensley as Mackie. Barbara Trentham as Daphne, as the women come rotating through. John Normington as executive uh i've put him in here because he is actually part of doctor who maybe joel oh. would recognize him joel he was he played a character called morgus trevor sigma uh know? is he in the notes here somewhere no not in the notes cast list. <clears throat> in cast list people who played in the this is the first time you've ever seen the show notes no but i'm looking at the show notes right now and i didn't see the name listed well it's right well, anyway, well, this My explains point. a lot, actually. Uh, Shane Rimmer. I was looking at Moses Gunn because he was driving me crazy in the movie because I couldn't think of where I'd seen him before. Where had you seen him before? Uh, that's just it. I'm looking at it, and I, Sanford and Son, Shaft. Uh, so, yeah, I've seen him in other things. But okay. anyway, which character did you ask about? John Normington. You look that up, and I'll keep going. Yeah, okay. I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I figured I figured it'd be like, hey, cool. I knew that guy. He was pretty cool in Doctor Who. Not. I have a I have a weird fact about John Houseman. 
in addition to being the old guy in like a billion movies, he's one of those character actors. Mm-hmm. John Houseman's strange claim to fame is he was a midwife to Orson Welles. That is weird. Right? Very strange. (laughs) You could have asked me to take any what random words from the English language and finish that sentence, and it would never have come to my mind. Help help deliver Orson Welles, but I wanted to use the word midwife because it's what's on his IMDb page. That's fantastic. Explains why Orson Welles talked like that. What? Uh, but uh, John Houseman, uh, born in 1902, uh, what I remember him for, did you, did you guys ever watch The Paper Chase when it was on uh, uh, Showtime? No. Uh-uh. No. He played he played like a teacher in a law school. I don't know why I like that, that show. But anyway, Shane Rimmer plays Rusty, team executive, and Bert Kwok. Come on, who is it? Somebody? Anybody? Uh, I remember him as Uncle Ty from Kiss of the Dragon. It's Kate. It's uh from Pink Panther. Oh yeah, oh, he was Kato. Kato. Yeah, I did not realize that. Huh. Yeah, he uh, unfortunately just passed away last year. Whenever I go to to Chipotle, I always get Quack on the side. Boom. Cost extra. <laughs> uh, so John Norrington, you guys would probably recognize him as the strange-looking fetish guy from uh, the caves of. Uh, at, well, you guys always called it something else. Androgyny or whatever, yeah. <laughs> he was the, the main bad guy. Oh, the guy in the mask? Yeah, that oh. was one of his characters. Well, that's why. Oh, yeah, it looks like he played Morgus and Trevor Sigma. There you go. Yeah, he was in uh, The Happiness Patrol, which is one of Sylvester McCoy's best known, although it's kind of an odd episode. Excellent. So, so some trivia about Rollerball 1975. Uh, the game of Rollerball was so realistic... The cast, extras, and stunt personnel played it between takes on the set. Well, I'm glad they thought it was realistic. I still don't remember the rules. You guys were complaining about that. I was able to follow it the whole time. I understood it. I knew what was going on. I knew what all the rules were. Yeah, just because I'm not saying I didn't understand it. I am. All right. So the game sequences were filmed in the Olympic Basketball Arena in Munich, West Germany. Uh, Munich citizens were invited to the filming to serve as spectators to the games. Director Norman Jewson intended the movie to be anti-violence, but the audience so loved the action of the game, there was actually talk about forming rollerball leagues in the wake of the film, which then horrified him. (laughs) You're missing the point! (laughs) Honestly, though, I hate to say it, but I would watch this. I would yeah, watch the I mean, game. That pretty much means that your uh, your satire, your your statement, didn't really work. Well, what's the what's that that um, that law where uh, satire is so good it loops back around and it's taken for reality? Yeah. Oh, geez. Why can't I remember this when I need to? Because I quote that all the time. Idiocracy is is my prime example of that. Yeah, it, it's like uh, no parody. A parody is indistinguishable from the Pose uh, law. Pose Law, that's the yep. one. There you go. So yeah, he almost kicked in the first instance of Pose Law, where the it's so realistic, the parody is so realistic, they take it for real. But uh, in the liner notes of the Region Two DVD, director Norman Jewson is quoted as being influenced by Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. It's most obviously that. seen in the repetitive use of zooms, classical music, and modern uh, architecture of lots of concrete and glass. I could see that. Vaguely. Yeah. There were no giant penis sculptures, though. There was no milk bar. True. 
Uh, the <laughs> the rollerball game sequences were filmed in the aptly named Basketball Halle, now known as the Audi Dome in the Olympia Park in Munich, West Germany. Uh, this is the only sports arena in the world with a nearly circular profile, which a production team could take over and redress to make it into the uh, rollerball arena. What? Well, that, in, ni- in 1975. Okay, yeah, all right. I was going to say, because like, nearly every arena now is circular. Yeah, that was back, I mean, 75. They're like, we're looking for a round one. Yeah, they were probably mostly rectangles. Yeah. yeah. Basketball uh, holla. Go! <laughs> Also, one of the first films to include the stunt crew's members in the final credits. Neat. Yeah. I know. I, I'm like, you know, they deserved it. <laughs> well, it used to be credits were like, you know, 20 names tops and then we're done. Yeah. yeah. Now, now it's like they got, you know, the, the the barber for the craft services is listed in the credits. Oh, the oh, caterer. The Kickstarter backers. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, there used to be a time when the movie would just end. There were no credits. Yeah, credits were at the beginning, and then the end, and then we're done. <laughs> Here's the 20 people you're going to see, and the guy who directed it, and let's keep moving. Sometimes I long for those days. But uh, <laughs> So how many of us was this a first viewing? All of us, I believe. Yep. First yep. First. Yep. So. Oh, wait, no, I've seen it before. No, I'm kidding. So, yeah, so... Rollerball 2075. What? 1975. <laughs> this is really good beer. Yeah, suddenly how we keep coming up with episode 342 of 40 Going on 14 makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the I wasn't expecting what I got. I was expecting brutal rollerball action. I was not expecting introspection into the identity of a person in a world where there are no longer countries and being a individual is frowned upon. Yeah. I was expecting post-apocalyptic dystopian society where this game is death race on roller skates. Right. Yeah. I was not expecting something that was so close to what we possibly have right now. (laughs) Yeah. Look, Logan's run on roller skates instead. Of <laughs> it's like 2001: A Space Odyssey, but without the masturbating monkeys. And we're here. So, Pat, wow. this takes place in Texas. The Houston team. Mm-hmm. What was your take? Uh, we had so much to talk about before the show. Please <laughs> tell me. To, to yeah, I was going to say I'm waiting for you guys to talk about it because I can't give a counterpoint until a point has been made. <laughs> All right, I will give. I will give a point. I did not expect to enjoy this movie. I did not expect this movie to be thinking so much about what was going on. But it kind of turned, especially when he went into the uh, to see the library. What was the name of the library again? Zero. Zero. Yeah, he went to go see Zero when books are gone and everything is on tape. And you discover that all of history is being rewritten with the corporate side of view to make corporations look better. They lost the 13th century in it they just lost the computers on that and they're not really worried about it because it was just some dante and some corrupt pope so no big deal um i strangely really enjoyed this movie did you guys by the way realize who the librarian was no i recognized him he was uh i can't remember his name but the 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 god figure in time bandit (gasps) oh that's right why can't i think of his name the overlord i think was what his name Yep, that is fantastic. I didn't. I I recognized his name, but 
but did not weren't able to figure out until uh, at at all really. I, I'm with Mike on this one. I I actually enjoyed this film. I'm not sure I want to see it again, but I liked it. But I know Patrick disagrees. So before I get too far, I, I want to hear what he's got to say. I, I felt like this movie was setting up so many different things. It was setting, you know, and, and it was all set up and no delivery. Like, I just, I, I don't know. They, they just kept like raising questions, never, you know, never even completely finishing the question, much less giving you an answer. I mean, like the whole, the, you know, the whole thing about the computer, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, we lost the 13th century and we have no more books and everything. All right, well, moving on, you know, and like they just it, nothing was ever resolved. I felt like it was the whole movie was trying to make a point that it didn't even know how to make. I think that was the point. Like, oh, we lost the 13th century. Oh, well, we didn't need it that much anyway. I think it was reflecting on how the idea of keeping knowledge around had reached a point where people just didn't care anymore. And I think what's really interesting about this is this is not the only science fiction film where you've got uh, a post-apocalyptic society that uh, distracts a uh, oppressed people by giving gladiatorial games. I mean, there's a bunch of those. Yeah, it's it's a it's a semi trope. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a full full on trope. But they go in a slightly different direction because usually uh, those uh, films are totally. Uh, people good, corporations bad, uh, anti-capitalist. And this says, okay, we're also going to show that, uh, considering the time it's in, we're talking like beginning of the Cold War, 1975, they're also going to show that there's danger in subscribing to uh, the whole, the individual is not important, the team is, which kind of echoes to the thoughts and ideas put forth for communism. So if most of the time we've got kind of a criticism of capitalism, sure, it's ham-fisted, but no more so than a lot of – this felt to me almost like a Kurt Vonnegut story where you've got kind of a ham-fisted metaphor, a lot of introspection, and some science fiction tropes going on. And I also thought it was – oh, go go ahead. ahead. No, 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 finish. I also thought it was kind of interesting that even the villains – we're not uh, like cackling. I don't care about people as much as I love Hunger Games. They weren't President Snow. Uh, the bad guy, for lack of a better word, he honestly cared about the players, the society he was contributing to, and he thought what he was doing was best for everyone. I don't. I just. I, I got the feeling from the whole thing that it was like somebody trying to emulate. Well, like you said, uh, um, Vonnegut. And it just, and, and and then Kubrick. That doesn't, you know, that 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 makes sense now. That you know, that he was trying to, but it's, it just felt like poor copies. The whole movie just felt like it was unfocused and just was trying to be, you know, the, the intellectual satire, but never really knowing exactly how to do it. And I'm very surprised that that the guy who wrote the short stories, you know, also wrote the screenplay. Like I said, because the short story. It's only like five pages long, and it does a much better job of world building and of explaining the situation than the movie did. I felt more connected to the to to the world reading those five pages, and I felt more connected to Jonathan than than I did throughout this entire movie. We haven't heard much out of Joel. Well, maybe that was part of the the thing is trying to stretch that out into uh, an hour and a half, two hour movie. Um, yeah, but I mean, there were there were. The short the short story was very non flushed out, but it still had a good 
backbone. This, and I felt like they if you have two hours to, to build this world, it should have gotten better, not worse. Well, I mean, I th- the, the entire scene of shooting and blowing up trees could have been completely cut out, and, and they could have put something more... Meaningful? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, that, that, that whole scene, I was just like, what the fuck are we even watching? Like, you know... I think I don't the know tree what he was scene. trying to say with that scene, and that's not a that, that's that's not a good thing. That you know, like, if you're trying to make a statement, you know, make sure people can understand that statement. I think what you're looking at, you have to look at what the tree scene is. What's going on outside, as versus what's going on in the office when he's talking to the executive. I know. I realize he was trying to parallel, like you know, the one guy who's actually trying to find meaning meaning in this world versus all the people that are like, her to her, let's blow up some trees. But I mean, it just—it could have been handled much better. I just—I don't know. I—I was—I I wish I'd read. Well, actually, you know what? I'm glad I didn't read the short story before I saw this movie because I really would have been even more disappointed in this movie. So I will agree with Patrick on this: is that this was an hour and a half of movie in two hours. There were some spots where it really dragged, and I was like, okay, we kind of get the point. We don't really need all of this. I was starting to tune out dialogue. Yeah. Well, it was, again, 1975, we say before, 70s pacing, and for the tree scene, I went to the source of all knowledge to find out about the tree scene, Yahoo Answers. <laughs> uh, in the movie, I had gonorrhea. I know, in the movie <laughs> Rollerball. <laughs> Where we got the famous, does Tribble have puss puss? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the movie Rollerball, why do they burn down the tree during the after-party scene? And the only answer... We have well, we have two. One because they're high, and two because the tree was dangerous and someone would have died. Uh huh. And three fuck trees. Like those five fucking trees, they were real trees, and they just burned them down for a useless, completely dumb scene. Like well, and you could make a parallel where the natural world is destroyed and people don't realize the consequence of what they're doing and wouldn't care if they did, as a consequence of corporate that- rule. I got the sense that's what he was trying to do, but it just it it what is what is the opposite of ham fisted, <laughs> bacon fisted? I don't know. Ew. Well, and yeah, definitely Cold the fisted. metaphor was I, I, when I was watching that. I was like, okay, yeah, Pat's not gonna like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if we're going to be fair, a, a lot of the uh, classic sci-fi, a lot of Asimov, a lot of Vonnegut, is not subtle in its uh, social critique. And it's not necessarily that I'm against I, – I don't expect subtlety, but I expect purpose. And I just felt like you know this movie could have could have been much more. Well, I think that's where you're seeing the difference between Vonnegut and uh, – um, William Harrison. Kubrick and all that is that they all had scenes that had purpose in their movies. Uh, Mr. Juson here and Harrison used – it's, it's basically like a – I hate to say it, but a kid who watches a cool or reads a cool book in high school and was like, oh, man, I could totally write Vonnegut. And they write yeah. they write Vonnegut, and it's ham-fisted, and it's terrible, but it's kind of in the same, you know, they're moving in the right direction. Um, considering that, you know, Juson did of his other stuff was like Fiddler on the Roof, which I love because, one, Topol, awesome. Uh, you know, he did Moonstruck. You know, he did all these in the in the heat of the night, you know, with Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger and all this. I mean, he did some really great movies, but this sci- the sci-fi thing, he did Rollerball. Yeah, the sci-fi thing, unfortunately, did not. It seems like this is a director that should have stuck with uh, period pieces that were already had 
past. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, for God's sake, this guy did the Thomas Crown Affair. Well, I mean, he just obviously, this is not his genre. No, that's exactly it. I mean, he stepped uh, he stepped out of his genre. He stepped out of his comfort zone into this, which to to him, good on you. You you made an attempt. It wasn't yeah. awesome. It was ham-fisted. There was a lot of dialogue and there was a lot of uh conversation between the action scenes. And it just, you know, it it, it I felt like it was I felt like the story was spoon-fed by somebody with Parkinson's. Like they're trying they're trying to like give you wow. all this stuff so easily but it's never going to get to you because it's you know the spoon is empty by the time it gets to your mouth that it's is so- the strangest analogy as i have ever heard you make before in my life and i've heard it some is- weird shit come out of your mouth <laughs> i've seen some weird shit come out i of mean the whole the whole scene when moon pie you know they're trying to talk you know kato is trying to talk about you know how to how to battle the tokyo team and he just keeps making all these stupid comments talk about how you know you know basically not listening and before that meeting was even over, I turned to my sister, who was happened to be in the room during that scene. I was like, "Well, this dude's gonna die in the next next match." <laughs> <laughs> Saw that coming, huh? Um, yeah. But no, no. I mean, but that's the thing is, like, these guys are it, going back into the gladiatorial, uh, uh, looking at it. It's these guys are, are superstars, but they're only superstars if everybody else is with them. So that's what he was doing was getting the rest of the team riled up. In order to keep, you know, he didn't need need this Japanese guy coming in here and telling him all you got to do is punch him in the jaw and get it up into that, you know, punch the jaw up into the brain and you're doing okay. And next thing you know, he's got two of the uh, Tokyo team holding him down with another one punches him in the back of the head with a spike glove. You know, it's and then there, there was there was the scene where he was talking to all the new guys and they make a big deal out of the you know the real big guy who's not paying attention, you know, and and then they just never even show him again. No, Sound like Joel was trying to jump in here. A couple yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I I think my big takeaway from it was there were so many other films in this time that handled similar topics so much better that this just felt very watered down to me. Yeah, I agree with that. And like what? Yeah, just the whole thing. It, the 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 pace. Like Logan's Run that I mentioned time. earlier. Oh my god! And then and that's the thing is like if you go on IMDb, I'm I I, I enjoyed this movie. I, I have to say I did. I'm with well, Josh. Let, let's, let, let's let Joel finish his thought. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Joel. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that. I mean, it, it could have shaved off a half an hour, trimmed things up a little bit, and placed the scenes in a different order. I don't know. Something about it just felt really off throughout the whole thing. And I just felt like I was watching like a, uh, a fuzzy version of something better. Well, I think what you, what you're talking about is they 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 were trying to get the action in with the you know f- feed the action while feeding the cranium at the same time, and it wasn't it wasn't meshing right. You know, and it's, instead of doing you know either one of them well on its own, they just did both of them and did them both half-assed. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad I saw this film, but I'm probably not going to watch it again. I'm a hundred percent not going to watch it again. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not going to either. But at the same time, this is a movie that you know it's one of those things like everybody hears about. I mean, yeah. I absolutely didn't hate it, but it it was just so blah. I mean, it, it just it couldn't you know it couldn't even the only the only emotion I was feeling during the whole thing was just like like futility, I guess, for lack of a better word. I just like, that, like I well, just, that may be it. why it was trying what it was trying to get to you. I mean, you got well, the, not the good kind of futility. It's just like the like. The, you know how we talk about like when you're watching you, when you keep 
looking at the time and everything. That's, a, you know, the sign of a bad movie. It's not holding your attention. And I couldn't, you know, I mean, I kept pausing this like every 15, 20 minutes, just like, ugh. And I'd go and do something and come back and watch some, you know, it's just, I, it just, it, it was a, it was a, a nothing movie to me. The 70s were weird with the post-apocalyptic and the futuristic movies. There was a, a, a quick burst of movies in the 70s and early 80s that had this dark future type feeling to it. Now, and this is, this actually shows up when you, when you look up, uh, this on IMDb, you people who like this also like these six movies that were a lot better than this. <laughs> um, like the Omega Man, you know, the Logan's Run, like you said, Logan's Run is one of my favorite movies, like sci-fi movies. I just, yeah. Michael York is fantastic in it. Soylent Green, Charlton yeah. Heston is his best sci-fi. Now this one I have not seen, but I need to, Silent Running, starring yeah, Bru- Bruce Dern. Yeah, I've never seen it either. Yeah. Also, The Andromeda Strain. Yeah, that's a good one. Great one. And Outland with uh, Sean Connery. Westworld, even. And you mentioned uh, Clockwork Orange. Even though the messages and the the way it's portrayed are drastically different, they're still very similar in terms of the core element of the the story. You know, it's a a futuristic world where things are fucked up. And that's that's things like little things that I noticed in the movie when I was talking when I was not talking to it, but I was listening to it watching it uh, comment comments that I think may have missed do you, when they comment do you remember when we only had three nations they kind of give you you and and you do tune out because there is so so much talking yeah I remember that there was his trainer I think his name was Cletus yeah. And he was like, yeah, things were so much simpler when we still had three nations back in my dad's time. Right. And it's it gives you – I mean, there's so much potential in this to let you know what happened up to there. But I I know well, – The dialogue was so clunky. I mean, it was. It was. Sure. It was very clunky. And you want to know more about this world. But unfortunately, I don't think that um, William Harrison could do that with a screenplay. He could okay. not subtly tell you about the future of this – of this world without being but here's, a, here's a good example of what I'm okay. talking about where like the story built a better world than the movie did in the story. You know, I, while I was watching the movie, I'm like, you know, the fact that this, this corporation is just called energy. I'm like, that's really lazy and stupid. But then in the, in the, in the story, it explains that there's like five major corporations called energy, food, labor, what, you know, and I'm like, okay, well that makes more sense. They could have at least at some point in the movie mentioned that, so, I mean, because every time they'd be like, I work for Energy Corporation, I'm like, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's just lazy writing. But if they'd even explained that, I'd have, you know, it wouldn't have bothered me as much in the movie. Well, but short story or, or books or novellas is a totally different method of storytelling than a screenplay. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, you would think that the guy writing his own screenplay to his short story would bother to explain some of the things in the movie that he had, had that he went in ahead and explained in his five page short story. But have you yeah. met writers before? Yeah. See, it, it almost <laughs> seems like they should have sat him down with a screenwriter and the screenwriter took the five pages and started expanding on it. And he, and then here's William next to him. Like, okay, well, why don't you add this part? This would expand on this. See, you know? that's and, the thing is it? I agree with you, Joel, is that this should have been a, one of those written by and the ampersand, and somebody else. Yeah, it, for sure. I mean, he could have used a professional scriptwriter. Yeah. 
versus a short because I mean writing writing is a talent, but script writing is completely different from short story or novellas. I mean, the only conversations in the whole movie that felt natural were the ones between Jonathan and Bartholomew. All the rest of them just felt really stilted. I don't know. I think the ones between Jonathan and Cletus were good, too. But when they it, felt too expository to me. When you get to the third act and you've got uh, the conversations between Jonathan E. and Ella, that felt like two and a half hours. That yeah. was a long time. I really time. did not care for any of those scenes. The, old, the, the best scene between the two of them was when she was leaving and he's just and he's watching all their old videos. And he hits a race. Yeah. yeah. I may have been playing with the dog through most of that. Scene. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the entire time they were together, I'm like, these two have no chemistry. Why does he even miss her? And then finally, when he's watching the old videos and everything, you could, you know, due to James Conn being James Conn, you know, that was actually a good scene. And this is the thing is James Conn is not a lightweight actor. He's, no, not at all. Yeah, he is a he's a solid actor. And in one of the one of the trivia that I put in that actually did not put in here. Um, during an interview, they asked James Kahn, what, <laughs> J- Mr. Kahn, what is Rollerball about? And his response was, about 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's... It, this kind of proves, I mean, when your lead actor can't even grasp you know, your, your, the meaning behind what you're doing, maybe, maybe it needs a rewrite. Maybe it needs a little bit of punching up. That's exactly what this needed. Is that I think... After this was turned from a short story into a screenplay, somebody who has actually written a screenplay had to have taken a look at this. They needed to take a look at this and be like, "All right." He should have. He should have had his little his little hero Stanley Kubrick take a look at it. Now it kind of feels like we're approaching the time where we'd normally go to break, so I want to talk about the ending a little bit. Okay. Because I, I do feel that there's a little bit of uh, characters acting in certain ways that serve the story, but not necessarily their own self-interests. And that all kind of comes together with the ending. I kind of, I think he uh, he didn't know how to end it. Let me give you an example. (laughs) Okay. Like if at any time the corporations tell them, Hey, this is the system. This is your place in it. This is why we've made these decisions. We get that you don't like it, but Maybe he doesn't get so set in his ways, but that does not uh, address the screenwriter's point about the triumph of the individual over mindless collective. So, like, they act in illogical ways against their own interest. I guess it's it's more important to the story that they have him do what he's told, and it's more important to the story that he doesn't, even though if they just have him killed— or he just uh, gets his answers. There's no more movie, but everybody gets what they want. And does it really matter if there's no more movie if you're at the end anyway? Right. True. Right. There was no rollerball, too. Oh, don't even say that. Electric Boogaloo. James Kahn's got to save the community center. Well, you see in Rollerball <laughs> 2, there are these wheelers. Shaka oh, Khan. <laughs> Shaka Khan. I would, I would watch that strangely. James Kahn in a in a Wheeler costume. That's yeah, the night- Wheelers from Return to Oz and Rollerball too. That's like nightmare on top of nightmare right there. That's what that is. <laughs> no, I, but I I agree with you, Josh. There are you know there are so many points where John Houseman's character Bartholomew could have said, "Look, listen, Jonathan, we want you to retire because you're getting too popular. 
You know, they could have given I mean, just at any one point said, hey, anything in the world you want, this is the reason we want you to retire. Just go. And, you know, again, I hate to keep keep harping on it, um, but, you know, in the short story, they explain how most everybody lives in the cities. And the fact that he has, you know, his own ranch and his own cattle and everything is, you know, is completely huge because, you know, nobody that is not an executive has that. True. He, they actually do say that in the in the story is, uh, you know, you um, he's the, got the, his the, own the executives don't even get, you know, don't even get fresh meat and he's got his own cattle farm. Yeah. So that's how big he is. And I get that John Houseman's character honestly believes he's the good guy and cares about everybody and thinks he's doing the right thing. So that's probably why they don't just have him killed. But by changing all of the rules, they're effectively trying to have him killed anyway. So there's a bit of a disconnect with, like, how committed are you to a weird trying to do the right thing, just play ball. Well, in this short story, Bartholomew gets removed as CEO, and then Jonathan goes to him afterwards and has a conversation. So there's that kind of a little bit change of it of a change in the story also. There were just so many things in this movie that, you know, I hate when something happens in a movie and then, it's, you know, it's never addressed again. Like, every shot in a movie is supposed to mean something. Like, when he goes to meet with uh, Bartholomew and he cuts his finger... You know, I just I thought they were gonna that was something was gonna come up with that. Nope, just never mentioned again. Like, okay. Yeah, that was strange. Why did they? N- I- Why even film that? Why even write that? You know, it just maybe James Con actually cut his finger on <laughs> the prop, and they decided it was the best take. That they happens. Didn't, they didn't even yeah, but they didn't even show any blood or anything. It but just, you know. but even later when he's riding the horse around, he's still messing with his finger. I noticed that is that he was he was. When they go to his ranch, he's riding the horse, and he's still like sucking on the tip of his finger because it's cut. Oh, I missed I, I missed that, but still, what's the point of that? I know. I mean, it, it, it absolutely no point. Well, the guy has delicate fingers. Maybe that's it. Like you know, I, I expected at some point like he's going to try to pick up one of the balls, and because his fingers cut, he drops it or something, you know. But nope, nothing. Fucking fingers. If you insist <laughs> on being an individual, you'll cut your finger. <laughs> that's the message. Message. <laughs> So uh, have we any anything from the actual? I mean, we've talked about the the subtext as it was for this movie. What about the actual rollerball game? Do you think it's it was as brutal exciting. as they said it was? It wasn't very exciting. You know, what? it wasn't. But for '75, maybe it was. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of a neat game. I was like, I I could follow what they were supposed to be doing. Although we didn't get the explanation for some of the whys until. The remake, true, where they decide let's let's more explicitly explain some of the rules and acknowledge that some of the other rules don't make a whole lot of sense. There are other rules you don't need to know them mm-hmm. because they're in Russian. Kind of, let's just kind of get rid of everything else. So I uh, I enjoyed the the game itself. The whole concept of the game really is to me is pretty damn cool. It was roller derby on steroids. Oh yeah. You know what roller derby needs? Motorcycles. And, and a I'd 20 be like, pound steel ball. Well, yeah. What do they say in this? What do they say in this story? It is 20, 25 pounds. They said weight as much as a bowling ball. Yeah. 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 Going, so like 15 pounds. Going at 300, pound, 300 miles an hour as it's launched from the cannon. So there were a couple scenes during the game itself where remember the one guy uh, gets knocked out and his head winds up in the track. Yeah, that was brutal. Yeah, I mean, there were some brutal, brutal points. I mean, especially with uh, Moon Pie getting punched in the back of the head, that was kind of rough. 
but some of it was like, so he got his head raked against the fence, and now he's dead. Well, I mean that happens. True. I mean, I think part of it is is our expectations in 2018 for special effects are so high now that if somebody get if somebody dies from their face getting raked up against a a fence, we want like half a face left on the fence. Sure, and even uh, beyond special effects, there's a certain dramatic framing of when a character dies, even if that character doesn't matter in more modern movies. And there isn't any of that here. They just, like, show, by the way, this dude's dead. Up on the scoreboard, all four lights go out. Yeah, and what the fuck was the point of the four lights? They never I, even, like, knocked it down to three or two or anything. Like, you know, I was really hoping that they would explain that in the short story, you but would, they yeah, never did. I really saw that in the movie, where if someone was injured but not dead, they went down to two lights. I never noticed that. Okay. Yeah, like, if someone was in the penalty box, it went to three lights. If someone was injured but not dead, it went to two Huh. And if they're killed, all the lights went out. I don't know what one light means. I completely miss that. Hmm. Yeah, I did too. I only saw it go down from four to nothing. Yeah, same here. Well, that's what happened most often, especially in that last game, because all, just about everybody died. I do have to say, for everything that we're saying about this movie, that final scene where Khan walks up and slams the ball into the goal was pretty damn sweet. And it's interesting that you expect the audience, as soon as it gets super bloody, to like get extra into it, like they do in every other post-apocalyptic gladiator movie. But uh, something else that was kind of special about this one is, after the third or fourth death, it went silent and everyone was fucking horrified. You noticed it, yeah. It's like everyone was just like, what the hell are we watching? It's like, yeah, what have we become? But because their whole society is do everything the way everybody else does it, they don't even know how to leave. They're just like, everybody's watching. This is what we do. We do what everybody does. So I guess we're watching. What happened after the ending? What do you think? Does it does it say in the story? Not at all. It does at the end of the, at the in the short story, it doesn't even get to the, the final game itself. Really? Yeah, it's, it's just, just him saying, all right, well, I'm off to my game. Yeah, Whatever. he's just like, I'm ready for this next game. End. Huh. You know, I I would like to think in my, in my positive thinking head that he leaves, he walks out of the stadium, and he creates a revolution where people are like, oh, I need my identity back. I can't do everything as I do. You know, I can't exist as just a number or a name anymore. I need my personhood back, but in the reality of it, I'm going to lay down that they killed him shortly after. Or he, they disappeared him. And I would think that probably what happened is a riot erupted. There is a crack in corporate society, but the corporations probably reassert control. Maybe not as fully as they had, and maybe there are always people that are going to remember the individual hero, which is what they didn't want. But I don't know that it's a completely happy ending. And I kind of liked the lady or the tiger ending where you don't exactly know where we go from here. Right. Well, and and t- uh, tail ending off of what Josh said, Rollerball ends and the corporations create a new game that catches the imagination of everybody that carries on in a different way. It's, it's, called, I, it's called Roller Hoop. Right. It's actually Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's fucking Fortnite. That's the game of the hour right now. I know, right? Um, so yeah, I well, I think we've. Uh, there were shades of like the scene in Gladiator with that final ending. You know, it was like, are you not entertained? Kind of thing. 
It, it, there really was. When he realized that when he took the ball and he raised it in the air and he was about to smash that guy's face. And, and you see that moment, which honestly, the fact that James Conn is such a good actor that he was able to p- portray that. When he raises that ball and realizes w- how he's been used by the corporations up until this point, and he's like, I'm not doing this. You know, this this guy is I've literally just killed another guy. Yeah, and I came here insisting I was going to play a game. Fuck it, I'm going to play the game and score the only goal. Yeah, I I honestly think, despite what you think about the movie, the movie, you know, where it may lay in the good bad, I think those final thirty seconds of him slamming the ball into the goal are pretty iconic. I I feel like it had all the elements of something great, probably because of the short story. And it just didn't know how to put them together. Yeah, and that's the reason why this isn't a great sci-fi film, but it might be a great cult film. I, you're completely right on that one. It's not, it's not a Logan's Run, but it is a great cult film. Well, and Logan's Run has a lot of shortcomings, but it's freaking super you entertaining. You shut your filthy mouth. It's really entertaining, and it's something you can rewatch. So, in the shortcomings with the special effects or whatever. The story and the <clears throat> the way it's carried out turns it into something totally different. So, no, I like Logan's Run. I have no problems with Logan's Run. You, you and I are going to have words, boy. <laughs> so are we ready to go to the break and then come back and talk about the remake? You will not speak ill of Peter Ustinov. I guess not. <laughs> no, I'm good. Let's go to break. Uh, so, yeah, when we get back, we are going to talk about the 2002 Rollerball. Flying vehicle. That's not a phrase I ever heard being said. In 2002, you might have. That's true. So yeah, we'll be back in a bit with more uh, Steel Balls. Swerge! All right, we are back and going to talk about Steel Balls. <laughs> sort of, yes. Kind of, yes. Okay, so uh, in 2002, someone said, we should remake Rollerball, except take out all that social commentary and just go with the action, which is kind of what we were talking about in the first half, where there was a lot of talking in between the games itself, and now I guess we find out what happens when we get our wish. So, well, uh, yeah, and I think if you decide you're okay with trading the social commentary and the movie becomes well-paced and watchable, that's a trade some people will make. True. We will get there in a second. Um, so in this... Okay, I'm sorry. And I, Because of the extreme nature of this movie, I have to read it like this. In this fast action packed thriller, Jonathan, played by Chris Kine, Marcus by LL Cool J, and Aurora Rebecca Rojim complete a dangerous, fierce sport called Rollerball. Although Jonathan and Marcus try to quit, cruel and vindictive. All right, I'm done with that. Promoter <laughs> Alexei Petrov. I was how long that was going to last. Yeah, Romaine. Lettuce. Yeah. Really? Is that how yeah, you say it? Rebecca Romaine. Yeah. Romaine? Rebecca, Rebecca Lettucehead. All right. So. Uh, so Jean Reno encourages them to still participate. Petrovitz sends his men to attack them while they are on a trip. Strangely, what? that's what it says. Uh, uh-huh. But that's Jonathan survives. I, well, it's better than what the description that they had in there for the IMD official 
uh, one was. In the end of a game of rollerball, Petrovic accepts a public execution of Jonathan, but the question is, will Jonathan get revenge? The answer is yes. And uh, that was written by Clifton Baird, which I'm probably saying his name wrong, but you know what? That was kind of terrible, so you deserve it. No, I think you got it right. Really? Yeah. No. Clifton Bard. No, it's pronounced James Lipton. (laughs) James Luxury Yacht. All right, so taglines are, get in the game, go ballistic, and in Japan, Masayamo Tosohano. I'd say that's pretty close. Which I'm going to say means get in the game. I tossed it into Google Translate, and it said, Mezamo Tonsohono was a translation. Mezameo Tonsohono. So. It means, oh, Godzilla. <laughs> All right, for the last time, that is not what every Japanese phrase means. <laughs> All right, so this is directed by John McTiernan, who did such classics as Last Action Hero, Predator, and Die Hard. Pretty good CV. Yeah. Yeah. The remake, uh, the remake of the Thomas Crown Affair, uh, Medicine Man, Hunt for Red October. I mean, he, his resume as director: Nomads, Predator, Die Hard, Red October, Medicine Man, Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Thirteenth Warrior, Thomas Crown Affair, Rollerball, and Basic. So what happened to this guy in 2002? <laughs> <laughs> Something. A thing happened to this gentleman. So, uh, he needed money. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Tax- taxes came due. True. Uh, William Harrison, again, writing credits. Larry Ferguson uh, got a hold of the screenplay on this one, and he's known for writing such classics as The Hunt for Red October, Beverly Hills Clop 2, Highlander, and <laughs> Aliens 3. Beverly Hills Clop? That's Fair, the one where yeah, it's, it's the one where Axel horses? Foley is actually a horse. <laughs> and he has sex with other horses. Right. And he shoves a banana. Shut in. up. I'm I'm two little extra something somethings from Lagunitas into this show. So you will shut your mouth, boy. <laughs> All right. So uh his his um writing credits strangely end in two thousand two with Rollerball. Uh was also written by a John Pogue, uh with the Amp, I don't know what the ampersand thing means, but he also uh, was a writer on The Skulls, The Quiet Ones, uh, U.S. Marshals, and the Fast and well, the producer on Fast and the Furious. That's a pretty shitty CV. Yeah. Uh, his The Skulls. I don't know if any of you guys watch it. That was a that was not a good movie. No, it was uh, not great. Did you know that there have been two sequels to The Skulls? Yep. I'm of course not know surprised that. Joel knows that. <laughs> I haven't seen them, but I know there were sequels. The third one was called Skull NATO. <laughs> kind of like uh, Cruel Intentions had sequels. I and knew that. So, yeah. So, uh, John Pogue. So, this is starring, and starring is in quotes on this, uh, Chris Klein. So, I watched this last night with Suzanne. And she's like, I know that guy. I'm like, he's the nice guy from American Pie. Oh, and yeah. Election. Yeah, true. And Election. Uh, Chris Klein plays Jonathan Cross. Uh, Jean Reno for some reason, is in this movie as Alexis Petrovich. Yep. LL Cool J, because why not? A lot of people had taxes to pay in 2000. Early 2000s. This was a hot list of actors. This yep. it, this was, but uh, uh, Rebecca Lettucehead as Aurora. Oh, and Rebecca Romaine's probably the best actor out of the, the group. And I, yes, I'm including Jean Renault, even though I like him. What? Jean Renault is amazing. I... 
I can aside with Josh on this one because Jean Reno was not given enough to produce a great acting event. They they gave him trash lines. He was not a good character. This it's not that Jean Reno was a bad actor. Alexis Petrovich was a terrible character. Yeah, no, and, I'm saying in in his career he's a much better actor. Well, and Rebecca Romaine has made some terrible choices on scripts, but she usually does really well with whatever's given to her. Yeah. She she was great as Mystique. True. Not uh, that, that required a lot of, you know, script reading, but True. Just war blue. All right, so Naveen Andrews, uh known as uh he was what what was the name of his character in Lost? Uh uh, uh Saeed. Saeed. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was Andy Saeed. was in Planet Terror. True. He was in Planet Terror. Ol- Oleg Tarkov is Denikin. David Hemblin is Sorokin. Janet Wright. I put her in here just because Col- Coach Olga was hilarious. Uh, Andrew Bieransky and Kata as Haloran and Kata Dobo as Katya. We've talked about Oleg Tarkov uh, before. Yes. Yeah. yeah, what was he in? He was he in was he was in uh, Predators, and he was also one of these guys was uh, played in Street Fighter. Well, Andrew Bernarski was in. He was well, Chris Klein was in Street Fighter. He was in. He was Leatherface in the Michael Bay remakes. Yeah, Chris <clears throat> Klein was in Street Fighter, uh, the uh, tar- terrible Chun Li spinoff. Oh, I'm talking about the 1994, the guy who played Zangief. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, B- Andrew Bernarski played Zangief. Yeah, uh, Chris Klein was in Le- yeah, Legend of Chun-Li, Street Fighter, 2009. Okay. I'm looking... When was Street Fighter done? Please be before 2000. 1994. Nope. We're nope. doing it. We need to do Street Fighter versus the Chun-Li movie. Oh, God. That is... No. <laughs> yes. Joel is even saying no. That's amazing. So oh. long as we actually talk about the Street Fighter games, I, I, I'm tentatively in... We can talk uh, about the games. What about Double Team, Van Damme and Rodman? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> All right, so uh, trivia. LL Cool J admitted in a guest appearance on Late Night with Conan and O'Brien that uh, the film sucked, but uh, they're paying him to promote the film. So good on you, LL, for uh, acknowledging that you have a terrible film. <laughs> uh, and um, although the first draft... He's actually called, uh, if you're going to abbreviate his name, it's J, just FYI. The LL stands for Ladies Love. That's that's the truth. No, I'm not I'm not saying. Oh, so Cool is just describing him. So his yeah, yeah. name is just J. Yep. Okay. So J did what I just said. Um, <laughs> although the first draft of the script was considered by many to be very good and even superior to the original film. Well... Yeah. Well, I mean, director John McTiernan didn't like it because it was focused more on social commentary. And while he thought that the audience would like to see more of the roller, rollerball scenes, this is why he had the original script to be completely rewritten several times and made sure that it focuses more on the WWE-like showmanship, including crazy costumes and stunts. Interesting that the WWE is brought up because... Uh, the commentator in the whole thing that had the ponytail, the the, the American commentator, that's Paul Heyman, mm. uh, who I, I don't know if you guys remember from one of the tweets, but he's one of the uh, most famous managers in wrestling. He's won all kinds of awards and accolades and stuff. He's Brock Lesnar's manager. 
Really? Oh, shit. I actually have an answer to my joke question. Because of the trivia, I know what happened to McTiernan in around 2002. Okay. He went crazy and over creative differences about Rollerball, hired a private investigator to illegally wiretap the producer, Charles Roven. What? And he was convicted of a felony and incarcerated for it. Holy shit. Yeah, the when he made Basic, which is also not one of his gems of a film, uh, he he was still under investigation for his illegal wiretapping over Rollerball. Hmm. Of all movies to take him down. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was the fact that you said that uh, he had uh, a, this weird creative differences reminded me of that bit that I was surprised wasn't in the uh, <laughs> uh, trivia. That's that's like this is the hill you want to die on, Rollerball. So, um, so anyway, Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News was invited by McTiernan to on a test screening of the film in Long Island sometime after the first test screening. And in his review of McTiernan's original cut, Knowles said the movie is bad, but at least it's unapologetic hard R with lots of nudity and really brutal violence in the rollerball scenes. But even as a work print, it was obvious how badly the action scenes were edited and the story was bad. The rollerball edit that I saw, uh, speaking Harry Knowles, said, I saw was one of the worst films I've seen in my life. There was jeering in the theater, Knowles said. Knowles was also one of the people who read the original first draft of the script, the one that Tierman had rejected, and said that it was an amazing script which solved all the problems of the original film. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. So somewhere out there, there is a script... And you know what that means? We're probably going to see a reboot anytime. Yep, which means that since we've now done this show, it's going to... And I just Googled Harry Knowles, and that man is a lot of flesh with a lot of small face. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Very goofy-looking dude. Yeah, he is. Totally. So... No, literally. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this is the first time I've taken time to watch this movie. Same here. Yeah, I just saw it uh, a few hours ago, like Six hours ago. And I I did not know that uh, a Chris Klein action movie was something that we needed in 2002. But I think we have... It wasn't. It wasn't. But I think we have actually got a new record for how quickly I have said I hate this movie. (laughs) Interesting. Really? Where did you check out? I checked... I checked out in the street luge scene at the very first <laughs> five minutes of the movie when they're racing down the hill on uh, with the masked person with the long dreads and all that. And, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Jay pulls up with the seatbelt, pulling him into his uh, Porsche and taking off. I was at that at that point. I'm like, I am going to hate the rest of this movie. I thought the fact that that. that character was in a mask was going to actually come into play at some point i thought i honestly thought it was rebecca uh let us head that, that, that's what i was thinking too i thought it was going to end up being rebecca remain mm-hmm. why why do you say why do you say that josh because my experience was very different i was all in on this movie uh until somewhere in the green uh night vision scenes which oh that was yeah that was I, terrible I thought, oh I was going to say, I actually started thinking that there was something wrong with my with my copy. <laughs> I thought it was kind of interesting what they were doing. 
like just as a filmmaking technique, but it using that went on too long. And then I think right around the time LL Cool J's character dies was where the film seriously started to lose its way. Yes. I don't think it was on any sort of track to begin with. I, when the movie started and the music kicked in for some sort of like reflex action, I slammed a Mountain Dew and ate a power bar. <laughs> it, it was Seems about right. It was so much 2007 of that, you know, you know, extreme with the E and the big X and oh my God, we're gonna, you know, we're it's it was so in your face. This was sponsored by. By monster, right? Yeah, but like I enjoyed the uh, WWE style characterizations of the various uh, individuals on the teams. It was beyond just Jonathan Moonpie and all these other dudes. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was neat. I thought that the games were more fun to watch than the original Rollerball, and I thought that the setup they had with the uh, organizers of the teams fixing the fights for ratings and oppressing the uh, local Europeans while paying the Americans big bucks was kind of a cool setup. If you're going to trade away all your social commentary, I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. And then they got to the moment where they decide to make their escape and the movie all goes to hell and it's pretty bad for the middle third of the movie, and it just goes into the shitter for the last 20 minutes. The, well, oh, go ahead, Joel. I was going to say, um, they, they got rid of the whole futuristic aspect, which changed the story quite a bit. And one of the things that, that bothered me about it was, how long had LL Cool J been playing in the league where everything was on the up and up, he's making money, he's going home, and then all of a sudden they realize when bad things happen that the ratings go up, and then they just keep notching it up 10, 20, 30 times every next game. It gets and more extreme is what you mean. Well, right. that was sort of addressed <laughs> by the fact that the North American cable news guy had just gotten there in the first game that we see. But it seems so like, okay, now they're just figuring this out. Come on. But there, there was, yeah, and there was no, you know, there was none of the social commentary taken, you know, in there. It was all taken out when, when it just becomes a game that was invented by one guy and he's just trying to get rich off of all of it for sure. And uh, like if the rest of the movie had been at least as good as the first 30 minutes, I wouldn't have loved this movie, but I would have been okay with that trade. It just got so bad. And and it was just like weird. So, so there was, there was one weird point and this is just such a small little critique, but like when they, 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 they're doing the opening credits, you know, Chris Klein, LL Cool J, Rebecca Romaine, and then the next character is Southwest Asia. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're, 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 they're subtitles, and, you know, and everything were just badly placed. Like it, they're, they're in the middle of giving you the cast, and then suddenly Southwest Asia, then the next actor is four months later. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, what just ha- Wait, what? Did I miss something? What just <laughs> happened? How do we go from San Francisco to now? I and here here's the thing is you've got the I watched the original and then I watched this one right after the other like there was literally 10 minutes between me turning off the original and stepping into the new one I'm like oh wow the original 
freaking shot of James Conn's blurry eyes. Right. Yeah, that was me too. I took the dogs out in between the movie and just started the next one when we all came back in. Right. So I, I started the next one up. I'm like, all right. So that was a commentary on what uh, society was like and, you know, that sort of thing. Step into this one. It's like, welcome to Rollerball. And we are going to have every, you know, and, and the whole concept of the loss of identity and the loss of individualism is thrown out the window and you've got these characters that all dress in different different styles, especially with the person with the uh, the vinyl record around her neck. I can't see how that would be strategically a good idea. <laughs> I thought that too. Yeah, the, it, it was instead of social commentary, they decided to go with uh, class warfare. Right, they flirted with that uh, social commentary, where it's like the Americans come into places where they're not belong, where they don't belong, they're not really invited, and they're treated like gods, where the locals are shit on. But they only flirt with uh, actually exploring those issues and don't actually like even bite into the meat of them. Like they show the one scene where the guys, you know, stealing from the hot dog vendor, and they just never, you know. Like, okay, well, that happened. That's the thing. Let's move on. It was like these were the little bits of the original good script that they couldn't quite scrub out of what we got. Well, and – um, oh, shit. Did I just lose my train of thought? I think Motherfucker. so. Oh, no. I was going to say this is the most early 2000s film ever made. I mean you look at the cast. You look at the way it was done. You look how they took the original and turned it into, a, like you guys have said, a, an ad for Powered drinks power drinks oh my god um, for the uh, for god's sakes it had a cameo of pink and slipknot yeah it's very very early 2000s like it's like the the 2002 just vomited and mtv decided to film it mm-hmm. and it was pink's cameo was weird like i liked her style but she was totally wasted she was just like on video screens randomly not even singing not anything just like no. her face like- yeah she was lip syncing to rob zombie how 2002 can you get pink lip syncing to Rob Zombie? That, Very odd. It, it was really strange. One of the things, the best commentary I've heard about this movie so far was actually from Suzanne. Where we were, she was watching it with me. And the guy, she had watched the original with me. And then the kid gets hit in the head with the ball like 20 minutes into the, into the new movie. And he goes down. Everyone's like, oh, oh, this is what happened. Oh, they're killing us for ratings, this, that, and the other. And she goes, well, his friend got hit in the head this early. Maybe the movie is only an hour long. (laughs) (laughs) So it was just like, you know, it, it, just stepping into it, it was just like trying. It's like somebody who tries so hard to be cool. That. Like sniping LL Cool J, it's like what? What's the end game there? What's why? Why do that? Yeah, mm-hmm. just let him go at that point, or, or capture him and make sure that he has to come back. It's like you do nothing but fuck everything up for yourself by killing him there. Mm-hmm. Especially after the uh, let's see if he can make the jump comment. You know, can he, can he make the jump? Oh, cool, he did, and then they snipe him out and kill him. I mean, he's one of your you you would think if this is that I the whole world is run by corporations type thing like in the original one that's product that's profit you know why would you why would you kill that but anyway 
I mean, if they had actually found something that could have ruined the cable deal, like you'd bothered to write that part of the movie. Okay. Maybe those motivations make sense, but like it didn't know what sort of story it wanted to tell. So it just had to slap together all these random things in between the admittedly pretty impressive action sequences, at least until the final end where they're just like, okay, all of the rollerballers are going to kill all the goons with sticks and balls. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, this is this totally unearned sort of triumph. And for the life of me, I cannot accept Chris Klein as an action star. Yeah. I mean, if you had swapped Chris Klein with Naveen Andrews, I would have bought it more. Talking about someone who was wasted. Yeah, very much so. He he's he's a really interesting actor and he was just kind of a throwaway character. And I think with Chris Klein at the very opening scene that you were like I'm going to hate this movie when he's got the floppy hair and he's in the car, I had like overtones of early Keanu and the way Pat feels about him, but I'm like he's never going to be modern Keanu. I, I well Hollywood won't let him at this point, but uh, uh. and like I had said earlier, I think kind of got missed. This is the second time I've seen this. I saw it shortly after it came out on DVD originally. Um, it was a different time. And it was just as bad then as it is. Well, now. Chris Klein also, he had a bunch of problems with multiple DUIs. Did he? Yeah. Uh, that was what happened to him after his uh, uh, rise in the early 2000s. And he was kind of on the outs. And he's been slowly crawling his way back through uh, small performances on well-regarded TV shows. Like he showed up on Wilfred a couple of years ago. Oh okay. yeah, he was good in Wilfred. Mm-hmm. He is. So he might actually make it back. He is currently in a movie called The Competition and something in pre-production called Intensive Care. He needs he, to stick to comedies, though. He's kind of like if you took Brendan Fraser and he had um, sex with Keanu Reeves. That is the best explanation for him that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> there you go. He's yeah. not really good at either. I mean, Chris Klein, but you're right. He's stick, stick to comedy, stick to the funny stuff. But I got to say, if it if he his career had been at a certain point and they had decided to get a name for the part, he would have been good casting. If you have to make him an action star as Leon S. Kennedy in uh, The Resident Evil, because he actually kind of looks like Leon Kennedy from the video games. Hmm. Hang on. I got to look him look at him again. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. He he was one of my favorite protagonists in Resident Evil, and he he kind of looks like Chris Klein. If the timing had been right, that could have been interesting. Hmm. I could I could see that. So what about the ending? I know you said you pretty much felt like they shit on everything. So this versus the original. The original tried to stand on its ending with some sort of artistic integrity. Whether or not it was there, they tried. Well, I mean, being a movie made in the early 2000s, you know, you, you couldn't end with ambiguity. No, you have you you can't have anybody no no questions. There has to be a definite ending to it. Um, bad guys are defeated. Good guy gets the girl. Roll right. credits. Right. Rap song. Oh, don't forget the the cheesy one-liner. Which yeah. one? After he shoots John Renau, and then Naveen is like. Haha, but he's always got, you know, the right hand man that steps in and blah blah. Well, I guess my job's not done then. Boom. Okay, now we can leave. I mean who knew who didn't know that was coming when there was still one shell left in the shotgun, anyway? Me, because I had fallen asleep. <laughs> I will say this. 
I had more fun and entertainment in the first 30 minutes of this film than I had in the whole of the original. But the second two thirds of this movie ruined it so much for me that while I ended up enjoying the original, I ended up hating this. And like, if, if they'd already been hooking up for a while, why did she need to break the camera that one time? Like when he goes back to the locker room, you know, and she, she smashes the camera so it can't see them. And then as they're laying there naked, talking about how they've been, you know, they've been doing this for a while. I'm like, well, then why is the camera not already broken? <laughs> because it's supposed to be a big reveal for the person who's like 60 IQ and didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's one thing. There were a lot of boobies in this one. Yeah, I read a commentary that said this was like written out of a 15-year-old's notebook with all the heavy metal music, the ultra-violent skateboards and topless Rebecca Romaine. I, I didn't mind the topless Rebecca Romaine, that's for sure. Indeed. Not to be piggish about it, but Jesus. Where's my topless Rebecca uh, He was laying down behind the topless. Uh, oh. Where's okay. my topless Jean Renault? In the morgue. <laughs> oh. Oh. He is now. Well, I mean, in the movie. He's yeah. Alive and well, but Wade, he's, he's not, not dead. Okay, good. Jean Reno is not dead. No, he's and then, not. And then the, the the ridiculous, you know, him screaming at the guy and pulling a gun because he's on channel 109. That scene was just. You know, that's that's what I had said before. It was like the Jean Reno is a great actor. I think he I think he can really pull off some interesting stuff. But the, his character was written so stupid. I I mean, again, apparently everybody had huge tax bills in 2002. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, if, how to put it, if I was watching this because I was six beers in and it showed up on Netflix, I would have enjoyed it. But watching this and having to give some sort of, like, critique about it just made me angry. Like, I don't know if the movie ended after they won their first game. It would have been like, wow, that was short. I wish they'd made more movie. I would rather watch a documentary about the actual game of rollerball with those people playing it than this movie we saw. Like, just do a fake documentary about the game of rollerball. Huh. Would you still have the cool jester guy? Of course. <laughs> All right, I'm in. <laughs> and, and the Black Knight with the giant, you know, the, the giant helmet and feather. <laughs> right. The costumes were freaking ridiculous. The only costume that I actually liked was um, Black Widow. I liked hers. I liked the Indonesian chicks because it was sort of like evocative of a not her real culture, but the way Westerners see her culture. Was that robot or was that? Uh... No, she had almost like a Shiva thing going on. Oh yeah, I mean that. I I and that's the thing is like if you had completely take you know go from commentary about what the world is now and just take the needle, go it all the way to. WWF, we're all in and don't do any commentary whatsoever. I would have bought this better. Like, you take the world they establish in the, that first half hour and turn it into a video game. I play the fuck out of that. I game. am in. If they had made that multiplayer, which there was actually a couple, a little bit of commentary on uh, video games that were inspired by Rollerball, and that was something brutal deluxe. Oh, man, I have too many games from the Steam sale to start looking this shit up, because I uh. might want to play that. <laughs> uh, I had it for Speedball 2, Brutal Deluxe. Do you remember that one? It was no. It was without the roller skates or the um, 
or the uh, motorcycles. It was one of those stat-based steel ball throwing games. I had it for the Genesis years ago. So it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun to play. But um, Okay, I see. It was 1990, so it was more inspired by the original. Yes, yes. Um, now if they made a video game about the the sequel, sequel, the remake, I would have completely played that too. But uh, it, it's one of those things like with the... If you're going to go all in with the super, with the ultra violence and all that, then take out all the social commentary and just do that. Don't yeah, don't half-ass the social commentary. Right. Uh, on that note, during the green screen of where they're being chased by an airplane, did anybody else hear the the? Yeah, the boing, 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 boing. Yes. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> that was, I think, the moment I checked out. That first boing, boing. Yeah. But there was two. What yeah. the hell yeah. was that? Yeah, that completely took me out of the scene more than the, even the green film. I mean, it was bad enough that they were being chased by an airplane, a big airplane. Yeah. A big honking airplane. <laughs> like the one in uh, Speed Racer that launched 10,000 motorcycles. <laughs> but yeah, that, that I could live with a, a you know, a Wilhelm scream. Because that's like a thing, but yeah. mm-hmm. the 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 cartoon sound effect. What the hell? That I had blocked that out until you guys brought it up. I I actually I had to write that down because it's one of those things. Like I I noticed it, but I realized how off it was when Suzanne was like, "What the hell was that?" Yeah, that was the precise moment I checked out of the movie. That first one. It makes no sense whatsoever, and why that was even. Why would anybody, any Foley guy, think that was a good idea? Chris Foley, maybe? Boing! <laughs> yeah, it was dumb. And rancid. So, uh... Mm. Yeah, the more we talk about it, the madder I get, because uh, the movie that I was hoping I would get the rest of, 30 minutes in, that was not delivered, and now learning that the script was actually good, mm-hmm. we're never going to get to see that film. No, because people are going to be like, hey, we should do Rollerball. No, we did that. And it went bad. Netflix, save us. Yeah. How much did that make? Too much. I'm I'm just uh, curious. 2002 Rollerball. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Get them doggies scrolling. All right. So it, the budget estimated was $70 million. Opening weekend, what did it make? 30. 8.5. Josh? One dollar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Patrick wins. Yay! 8.5. He made an opening weekend after $70 million, $9 million. Oh, I was so close. Good a, guess. A worldwide gross, $25 million. Wow. Oh, I was pretty close, yes. but I was not for opening. Yeah, so we uh, are never going to see another Rollerball movie, ever. Likely, yeah. Yeah, unless somebody completely forgets about it. So, but uh, so uh, you want to do uh, thumbs up, thumbs down? Yeah, why not? All right. So curious on this one, Patrick. Oh, thumbs down on both. I'm not even going to build it up. Just <laughs> <laughs> they both sucked. Joel. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Patrick. Not quite as hard. A thumbs down on the first one, but I was disappointed that something that should have been right in my wheelhouse was not. So, yeah. Josh? 
I mean, it's pretty obvious for me. Thumbs up on the original, but not super enthusiastic. Uh, big thumbs down on the new. Okay. I am actually, Josh and I are on the same side on this one. Original, thumbs up, but it's, it's good, but it's not something I'm going to uh, search out you know, or watch again, or it's not definitely not going to be on my, uh, like, in the same, as, like, a big trouble in Little China, like, campy enough that I'm going to watch it all the time. But uh, for the uh, now, uh, not so much. This is rare. Usually we all completely agree, or there's one outlier. A 50-50 split doesn't happen very often. Well, this is a 50-25-25 on this one. Well, we have... Two guys at thumbs down for both. Oh, jo- oh, okay. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah you and sorry. I have the same ratings, and Pat and Joel have the same ratings. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought Joel liked some of this. Yeah, but it's still a thumbs down. Nice. So what are we doing next year? Next year? Next week, Joel? <laughs> oh, can't buy me love. We're getting the Anteater dance happening. And love don't cost a thing. The surprise remake. Yeah, this uh, credit for the show idea has to go to a teacher I work with uh, named Shana. Pointed out that these movies were the same, even though they were different titles. So uh, looking forward to doing this show. Uh, If you have your thoughts about Rollerball, James Caan, Topless Rebecca Romaine, uh, you can let us know about them at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Right, and if uh, you have an opinion about those, you can call Josh at that number. And uh, also, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com, and on Geek Life Radio at 12 noon on Saturdays. You can listen to our stuff. Uh, look us up, leave us a uh, review, give us a call, Twitter us, Facebook us, email us, all that stuff. We have lots of channels open for your hot, thick commentary. I noticed we even Instagrammed lately. We have. I noticed that I actually downloaded the Instagram uh, app on my phone, and I want to do more pictures and things. So look for us on Instagram. Well, I will be posting pictures that I took of Patrick when he was asleep while we were in college. It can't be pretty. It's not. Or you could just follow me for dogs and barbecue. Do that instead. All right. Two separate things, right? Yes, totally separate things. (laughs) barbecue and dogs yeah there's a reason i ordered them that way no confusion (laughs) all right well we will be back next week with uh some purchased love swatch swatch Wait, when is Josh the voice of reason? <laughs> yeah, that should not happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>